1: They'll share their success stories, wisdom, and know-how to help you shine more light onto your day and into your life. Power your life right now. Here's Joanne Weiss.
2: Hello, everyone, and I'm Dr. Joanne White, and it's always a pleasure to be here and just sending beautiful energy out to everybody across the globe. And it's so important these days. We don't know where to turn, who to listen to, what to listen to, what's right, what's what we need to follow. And yet, there's a wonderful way that we have within us to be able to do so with more accuracy than we realize. And I have just the person today who's really going to share that beautiful information with you. I'm talking about Leonard Perlmutter and he's an internationally renowned meditation teacher, also known as Ram Lev. He's the founder of the American Meditation Institute and also the author of Transformation, the Journal of Meditation as Mind-Body Medicine, as well as the award-winning book, The Heart and Science of Yoga, and AMI's Empowering Self-Care Program for a Happy, Healthy, Joyful Life. His AMI Meditation entry-level course has been accredited by the Albany Medical College, American Medical Association, American Psychological Association, the Massachusetts Association of Registered Nurses, and the American Nurses Association to receive medical education credit. Leonard has also been a student of yoga science since 1975, and he's a direct disciple of mind-body medicine pioneer Swami Rama of the Himalayas. Using proven tools drawn from the 5,000-year-old Yoga Science Playbook and adapted for the Western mind, Leonard's created a plan that crisply, simply, and elegantly puts the power back into your hands when you adhere to your conscience. With his newest book, Your Conscience, the Key to Unlocking Limitless Wisdom, and creativity, and solving all of life's challenges. Wow, that's amazing. Hello, Leonard. How are you?
0: Good morning. I am well. Thank you for the invitation.
2: My pleasure. So let's get to it. Firstly, people are saying, what? How is that possible? How, what is? How do we define what conscience is?
0: Well, conscience is one of those voices that we have in our mind, I think that everybody, even since early childhood, thought, imagined that uh, we have different voices in our mind, and as it turns out, we actually do. We have four separate, distinct voices in our mind. One of them is the conscience, but the conscience is, is unique among the four because it is the only decision maker in the mind. The other three, the ego, the senses, and the unconscious mind, are simply advisors. They can only recommend their perspectives, but they cannot decide. Only the conscience has that capacity to decide what's to be done and what's not to be done. And when I first learned that and started practicing with it, it was a game changer, because what it told me was that every single choice I have ever made in my life and every single choice I will make in my life has been and always will be made by the conscience. Now, that that's very strange because we have this feeling or information that other people have given us that the conscience uh, uh, isn't ever wrong. That's not true. It can only operate to its fullest extent if the ego senses and unconscious mind are trained to quiet down and reduce the noise in the mind. Then, then the magic happens because the conscience acts as a mirror, and it can reflect perfect wisdom from the superconscious conscious portion of the mind, and can take that superconscious wisdom and bring it into our conscious mind so that we can know the thought to think, the word to speak, and the action to take that will enable us to fulfill the purpose of our lives without pain.
2: You know, it's very, very powerful, like you say, but, but many people do have, like you said, we do, those voices, that, those messages, how do we differentiate? How do we know what to follow?
0: Well, we have to practice. That's all. We have to experiment with it. So let's, let's take a look at the, the four functions and what they actually do and what they represent. Because really, each of them can be very productive and help us a great deal. The ego, the senses and the unconscious mind, they all can be very helpful and very appropriate. Right now, for example, I need a healthy ego to have this conversation and to make sense. And when the conversation is over, I have an appointment at an address that I don't know where it is, but I'm gonna I'm gonna punch in my GPS uh-huh. and if I make a wrong turn, the GPS is gonna tell me what? recalculating, well, that's what the conscience can do. But the ego doesn't have that telemetry. The ego, I look at the ego as being sort of hardwired to the reptilian brain. And the Mm. reptilian brain is heavily invested in self-preservation. And because the reptilian brain, and therefore the ego, is constantly... Fearing annihilation and death, the ego insinuates itself into every single relationship and actually cuts that relationship in half and says, "Oh, this, this, this is uh, this is pleasant. I like this. I consider this good. Let's reprise it. But over here, this is unpleasant. Uh, I don't like this." I consider this bad, so let's eliminate it. So the ego is that voice that creates good and bad, pleasant and unpleasant. And we already know from our limited perspectives that that which appears as pleasant isn't always good for us. And that which appears as unpleasant isn't always bad for us. So if I constantly listen to the ego and the conscience makes a decision exclusively based on the limited, often faulty concepts of the ego, why we're going to become stressed out. We are going to experience pain, and that's what, that's what happens.
2: So Although we love to of. adhere to, wow, this feels good, this is good, So, and stay with it, and sometimes do it, even though it's counter to what the conscience is, is giving us, is telling us. How do we make sure that we don't deviate and we really focus and trust the conscience?
0: The only way to be able to do that is to experiment. Now... That's the good thing about experimentation. It's not necessarily a lifetime commitment, but it's up to me, the parent of the ego senses and unconscious mind, to provide experiments for them that I know ahead of time that will be enjoyable so that they too can experience something that's pleasant that previously they didn't want to do because they saw it as some form of denial. Hmm. And that provides me, as their parent, a beachhead. They trust me more today, and they trust the conscience more today, since we did this experiment because it was pleasant rather than unpleasant, even though they thought going in that it was going to be unpleasant. So they trust me. They trust the conscience. And if I don't give them too much too soon, with another experiment and another experiment, then their perspective expands and they begin to trust one another instead of having some kind of anarchy in the mind and all this noise. Because when the ego, the senses, and the unconscious mind are so noisy, the conscience cannot reflect superconscious wisdom from the center of consciousness. The conscience at that point, when there's so much noise, can only rubber stamp the loudest voice it hears. And that's what gets us into trouble.
2: So, so now... I was just going to ask you, many people do have those voices and, and, and like sometimes the ego is so very loud or the senses, the voice is so loud. Mm-hmm. How do you, yeah. how do you quiet it? How do you just quiet it so you can really hear the conscience? Um, uh, from From an example, when I was younger, my, my ego used to tell me horrible things about myself or whatever and and the noise was constant it's quiet now cuz i've worked with it and shifted it but many people don't know what that or feel so uncomfortable with all the noise but don't know what to do about it or, or how to to silence it
0: well uh, my experience uh, is that it takes a desire for a different way of being. Uh, I had a very uh, close relative once who said something very profound and very revealing about himself and about humanity. He had a lower back pain issue, and I too, as a young person, had lower back pain. I don't have it anymore because I've changed my mind and I've uh, used easy, gentle yoga exercises. So I was going to offer him some tips, and his response to me was, if I didn't have the pain in my back, how would I know who I was? Wow. So that was funny. You know, he was being sarcastic, but it's the type of uh, humor that, uh, you know, causes a tear to run down your cheek because, gosh, you don't want them to be in pain, but they're so thoroughly attached to the pain as being themselves that, it creates a tremendous sense of lack, tremendous sense of lack.
2: So You know, that's this, so important. What that we sense need of to attention. do,
0: we need to have a desire. We need to love the ego. We need to love the senses. We need to love the unconscious mind. And to do that, we need to parent them. We have to provide them and encourage them to come along with us. For example, if we just ate dinner the question before all of us because we are a holistic organism is are we going to brush our teeth So, perhaps if i as the parent call when i call on the ego the ego is going to say no i i would vote no i don't want to brush the teeth it, it, it seems like that's going to be unpleasant and the senses might say something i don't want to brush the teeth now i would rather have a second slice of apple pie <laughs> And the unconscious mind would say, oh, well, uh, I'm with the ego and the senses because that's my habit. See, all the habits are stored in the unconscious mind. And so it's up to me, then, to quiet the ego, the senses, and the unconscious mind. Thank you, ego. Thank you, senses. Thank you, unconscious mind, for providing your perspective, and we'll consider it. But now while you're sitting around the kitchen table with all of us, I'm going to call on the conscience. So in that quietude, the conscience will be able to use its mirror to reflect superconscious wisdom from the superconscious portion of the mind. Now remember... This is not just magic, it's not poetry. The superconscious mind is beyond the conscious mind. It's beyond the unconscious mind. It's the same portion of the mind where Albert Einstein saw mathematical equations, and the same portion of the mind where Paul McCartney hears beautiful melodies. Doesn't mean that we're gonna become songwriters or, or physicists. What it does mean is that if we can parent through experiments, the ego, senses, an unconscious mind to tell us what their opinion is up front, but then to quiet down. Let the conscience then reflect that superconscious wisdom. And what would the conscience then say about brushing the teeth? Oh, look, everybody, uh, this life that we're living, the conscience might say, it's not really a sprint. It's more like a marathon, and for a marathon, we need strong, healthy teeth, We need strong, healthy gums. We need a strong, healthy immune system. And if we can just take a two-minute timeout and brush our teeth, that will go a long way to serve us with stronger teeth, stronger gums, a stronger immune system. Then it's my job as the parent to say, oh, let's make this an experiment why don't we just go into the bathroom, we'll brush the teeth, and we'll come right back to the kitchen table, and we'll ask everybody what you experienced. And as it turns out, the ego, which has always equated change with some form of death and loss of control, the ego admits it wasn't so bad and he didn't die or she didn't die and and the and the senses my gosh the senses they're thrilled right the senses voted no originally but when the tongue glides over the front teeth and there's no mossy feeling the senses like that very much because they really dislike all that mossy feeling on their teeth and the unconscious mind st- goes along with them and says it wasn't really so bad. So now they trust me more as their parent because they know that I love them and I'm not going to hurt them. I'm not going to deny them things. I'm not going to deny the ego because when I uh, drive, I need the ego to drive, help drive the automobile so we don't wind up in an accident. And I myself have a body, I have senses. Life is to be enjoyed. I like a delicious meal. I like an exquisite dessert. So the senses can be satisfied in those situations. And many of the things in the unconscious mind are appropriate. We have to let them know when they're appropriate, when it gets the good housekeeping seal of approval from the conscience reflecting superconscious wisdom. And then we we say thank you. (laughs)
2: <laughs> yes it's it's wonderful to to go through that. And I think what you said earlier we have to be able to talk to our to our ego, to our senses and the unconscious as you said follows and and I mean I I, I used to say thank you just like what you said earlier thank you and I'll take it under advisement because again we don't want to I know people that are just saying no and discounting the voice of the the ego or no, the sense no. and that's That's not that's,
0: that's not any louder, way to right? treat a child, is it? Right.
2: No. no. <laughs> it, it doesn't right, it doesn't silence it. Sometimes it makes them have a temper tantrum. Okay, get, get right. out of
0: control. Right? <laughs> that's right.
2: <laughs> so there there are two kinds of thoughts. Can you yes. share that, what that means, and describe them to our audience?
0: Sure. Before I do that, I'd like to just take a moment and, and let everybody know how powerful thoughts are. We, we, we don't really give them the respect that uh, is really due them. But thoughts are packages of energy that every one of us needs to fulfill the purpose of life, to maintain all of our duties and responsibilities. But there are, as you say, two kinds of thoughts. Some can be helpful, some can be very unhelpful. The first is in Sanskrit, the Indian language, which is a language of spirit, unlike English and German, for example, that really are languages of materiality. They define the material world very well. Sanskrit uh, doesn't do that very well uh, Uh, defining the material world because it's a language of spirit. And the first thought is a Shreya. The Shreya will always lead us for our highest and greatest good. So when the conscience tells us that a thought that is in our awareness right now, a desire, an emotion, is a Shreya, we're to serve it By giving it more attention, thinking the thought, speaking in service to it, and acting in service to it. And the promise is, if we do that, base our outer action on our inner wisdom, we'd be led for our highest and greatest good. That's the Shreya. So the opposite is the praya, And it's sort of fun because they rhyme. Shreya. And then the preya, what's the preya? The preya is some form of limited ego or sense gratification that always brings pain. Yes, it first brings a little bit of pleasure, a passing pleasure, but it's always followed with a pain. And so what we're asked to do with those kinds of thought is not to deny ourselves something, but to take those thoughts and offer them back to the origin from which they came. Make a sacrifice. The word sacrifice does not mean denial. It comes from the Latin and then the Italian. It means to make it sacred. Remember, I told you, thoughts are energy. And we learned in what? Fifth grade? Energy can't be created, it can't be destroyed, but it can be transformed. We know that we can transform ice into water and water into steam. Well, the contractive and debilitating poisonous effect of the energy of praya can be transformed by offering it back to the origin from which it came. What is that origin? We call it G-O-D, or whatever name or any other synonym that might apply to the supreme intelligence. And when you do that, when you make an act of sacrifice rather than serving it, that's like sending crude oil to a refinery to change crude oil into gasoline because that contractive power of the prayer that conflicts with the super-conscious wisdom reflected by the conscience, can be transformed into a healing form of energy, an expansion of our willpower, and an increase in our creative capacity.
2: Powerful, really powerful.
0: And practical, too, don't you think? And it's so practical, it's so common
2: and And we can really utilize it in in a way that like you know that serves us. I mean all of this really serves us and helps us access the the highest abilities within ourselves, and that's not ego, but in terms of really feeling that that connection to our highest ability our highest power what
0: you know it's really like, it's it you know it's it's sort of amusing. And I, I'm talking about myself, I'm, and, and this has happened to me. Uh, I'm, I'm driving into work, and uh, I'm, you know, I'm going the speed limit, approximately the speed limit, and some maniac is going about 85, 90 miles an hour, weaving in and out of traffic, and he cuts me off in the middle of, uh, of tra- heavy traffic, and I have to slam on my brake to avoid an accident. And what comes forward from my unconscious mind? Anger. Mm -hmm. Now, I say amusing because if I give that anger more and more attention and I start to fume and thoughts come in, you know, that I I should really chase after this guy and tell him, you know, which end is really up and what a jerky is. uh, Well, what's happening to my body? It's being poisoned by all these hormones. My anger is being poisoning to my entire mind and body but if I can take that anger in that moment and offer it back as a sacrifice it can be transformed into healing energy willpower and creativity that will be stored in the unconscious mind and I can draw on that power anytime in any relationship when I need energy willpower and creativity
2: You know, it's so important, especially now, because people are so quick to be impatient and angry and going with those feelings, like, without, again, making that sacrifice, like you're talking about, Leonard, and really being able to store that. And they're reactive and acting quickly, and it says a lot about how we're living these days, too, in terms of our world so so
0: why so why is that the case why are we so quick i'll tell you one very very powerful reason is the culture is encouraging each one of us to multitask and what does multitasking do well first of all multitasking is impossible it's impossible for the human being to multitask in order to go back and forth and back and forth with the mind toward two objects, back and forth, we need a lot of adrenaline. And that adrenaline rush continuously, because we want to make the culture happy, we want to look successful, what does that do? It depresses the immune system. It depresses the mind. But when we learn to meditate, what we do is we train the mind to be one-pointed. One-pointed, and that one-pointedness of all of our mental energy automatically creates a space between stimulus and response. Multitasking eliminates the space between stimulus and response. That's why we think an angry thought and we immediately, it comes out of our mouth and, and, and our fist, our hand turns into a fist. Because there's no space between stimulus and response. And why do I say that? Because what's in that space between stimulus and response? Why, it's our freedom to act in a way that's going to lead me for my highest good. So if I can create a space between stimulus and response by doing one thing at a time with full attention then I have the freedom to check with my conscience in real time to know whether the thought, the emotion, is a shreya to be served or it's a preya to sacrifice and send back to the refinery to be transformed into healing, energy, willpower, and creativity. And this can all be trained. Everybody, but nobody teaches us this in school. They only teach us what every level of schooling that I have had, and I've had many levels of tooling of schooling, every level has been exclusively about memorizing and then reciting what you've memorized. Then you get a degree, then you can get a job. but you still have not trained the ego senses or unconscious mind, so there's anarchy in the mind and the conscience is sort of handcuffed because it can only rubber stamp. It cannot reflect superconscious wisdom if there's so much noise in the mind.
2: You talk about meditation, and I totally agree. So how do people, many people don't meditate, many people say they can't quiet their minds, and how do you recommend that people begin to to meditate to to get into that quiet place to listen and receive and be open
0: well you know people say that they can't uh, quiet the mind but that's not a prerequisite for meditation because why because we have to be uh, honest with the mind we have to recognize it's the habit of the mind to be restless.
2: We have trained
0: the mind to be restless. That's why we have, what, a thousand channels on our televisions today? When we were children, we had maybe three. Well, wow. And so what we need to do is we need to recognize that when we meditate, the mind is going to be distracted. Not a problem. It doesn't mean I'm a failure. It doesn't mean that I'm a bad meditator. It's not a problem. It's part of the meditation practice. So when I'm meditating on a mantra or the breath with one-pointed attention and a thought appears that distracts or an image or a sound, it's not a problem. It's just the habit of the mind. You honor it. You witness it. You recognize this is not an appropriate time for it. You sacrifice it. And you bring the mind back to the mantra or the breath. And you just do that over and over again, over and over again. And that that creates a new skill for the mind.
2: You know, it's interesting because um, I do a lot of walking meditation. That's a way that that I... Get messages and um, like I said a mobile is there only one way to meditate that you recommend to people?
0: No, not really. Uh, wa- uh, walking meditation is, is very excellent uh, you can be with a mantra uh, over and over again listening and every time that you listen to that perfect harmonic it generates love and fearlessness and strength you can use a mantra for seated meditation. You can even use breath awareness for a meditation. So there are different forms. And as we talked about before, basing outer action on inner wisdom, serving the Shreya, sacrificing and transforming the energy of the Preya, that's a different form of meditation. That's known as meditation in action and that's the real meat and potatoes of life,
2: mm-hmm. beautiful. That's so important because many years ago I had an injury and and I was studying meditation and i- and I wasn't able to sit in the mm-hmm. posture that was requested because of the pain, and I just had to figure out another way to do what I needed to do to yes. to accommodate my body, the pain and also to be able to move past it and and get into that place of inner knowing. So how does all of this fit into our daily lives? People could say, well, how do we do this? There's so much going on. We have to pay attention to, to our conscience. We have to, we have to listen to our senses and our ego. And then, trans- I mean, how do we do it with ease and feel comfortable and still keep up with our lives, our busy lives?
0: Well, as I said before, we first and foremost, we need a desire. We want to be happy. We want to be healthy. We want to be secure. The only question then becomes, how are we going to get to point B from point A? And the answer is we need a business plan. We need a philosophy of life. So we really need to desire to make changes And we have to recognize that the highest principle of all, which is analogous to the golden rule, is to make sure that we don't take on too much too soon. Because in the process of every relationship, we must learn to love ourselves and not bring on unnecessary pain.
2: You know, that's so important because many people do not love themselves and, and, and there's so much going on within them that, that they're not paying attention to the conscience because they're hearing other kinds of things within their head. And so this is very important that, that self-love is, is a beautiful way to be. How does karma fit into all of this, Leonard?
0: Karma is simply the consequence of a previous action tapping us on the shoulder in a new relationship, asking us to self-examine and make a mid-course correction.
2: And we need to do that, especially when when we're not liking ourselves or we're paying attention to, to the ego that is telling us something that may not even be good for, for us. So uh, this is all very fascinating, and this book that you have, and you have several other books, but this book outlines it. Tell us a little bit more about your book.
0: Well, I was uh, in quarantine in February of 2020 with the COVID. A lot, yeah. you know, a lot of people were uh, began uh, uh, quarantining at that time. Now right. I'm a teacher, and I usually have students coming uh, to our American Meditation Institute school every day, uh, but I couldn't do that. How am I going to reach people? How am I going to be of service to them? I said to myself during this covid what what is the what is the gift of this quarantine? What is the gift of this uh Covid pandemic for me? and what I finally came up with was I need to give them something, I need to provide them some tools to make life easier for them so that they can make confident choices in knowing what's to be done and what's not to be done, rather than be so frustrated and let that further poison themselves and reduce their immune system. And so I thought the best gift that I could give them was an understanding of how how the mind works and the four functions of the mind, and how the conscience can become our best
2: friend. I love it, so and that's... it's so very, very important. So Leonard Perlmutter, tell our listeners how they can get a hold of you, how they can find your books, find get more information about your meditations, and everything else that you have to offer.
0: Well, that's very nice, thank you. I teach, as I mentioned, at the American Meditation Institute that I founded in 1996, and our website is AmericanMeditation.org, AmericanMeditation.org, and I would invite people to come to our website on the homepage, actually. There's a nice link that you can click for a free Sunday meditation, and Philosophical conversation, just like uh, you and I have uh, been having today, and you can hit the link that will take you to a a free zoom meeting room and it's from nine thirty to eleven in the morning, eastern time nine thirty to eleven and when it's over the next day on Monday you'll receive a free recording so you can use the guided meditation during the week and you can reprise the uh, conversation and what you learned in that. So that's at AmericanMeditation.org. The book itself, Your Conscience, has its own website. It's called YourConscience.org, YourConscience.org. And that'll tell you a little bit more about myself, uh, and about the book and how to order. Of course, it's it's a, it, you can get it anywhere. Certainly, uh, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, all fine booksellers nationwide.
2: Beautiful. So what would you like to leave our listeners with before we close?
0: So here's what I would like to leave the listeners with. I would like to say this. I don't want any of you to believe a word I've said (laughs) I don't what I want you to do I want you to be a scientist Mm -hmm. if you are interested at all in anything that I've presented and uh, Dr. uh, uh, Joanne uh, have been talking about if that's something that piques your interest experiment with it Test it yourself. Put on your doubting Thomas hat and test it like a good scientist and see what you experience. See what truth you experience. That's the truth that is going to set you in the right direction, that will bring you a a brilliance of confidence and an imperishable comfort, that you don't have to rely on all these quote-unquote experts outside that bring so much sense of lack inside us you can you can become self-reliant self-confident so don't believe me
2: test it experiment be a scientist I love it beautiful wisdom thank you so much Leonard Perlmutter for your wisdom for your guidance and for telling us that we are the ones that need to experiment with all of us and all of the information that you provided to find the truth within ourselves. Have a beautiful day, and thanks so much for being here with us today. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you, too. Thanks. So listen to everything that Leonard Perlmutter said because, again, you have the abilities, you have the strength, you have the wherewithal, and you have the ability to do the experimentations yourself to discover, uncover, figure out what is going on within you and how to really pay attention to the voices and to differentiate and to know, what is there for your best guidance? And I love what what, what Leonard Perlmutter said, was to really let yourself be the guide, let your conscience guide you, but first discover what that's all about by experimenting, by finding your own truth, and that's so very important. So remember, you have the ability, the wherewithal within yourself to power your life, and you can do so by taking little steps, by, by paying attention a little bit to your ego, to the senses and finding where that conscious thoughts are, the conscious, what's telling you, what it's showing you, what it's revealing to you. You have the ability to move forward in your lives and to take charge and you can start today. So thanks so much for joining us, and have a beautiful day, and take care of you.
1: You've been listening to the Power Your Life radio show with host and author, Dr. Joanne White. Listen often and spread the word about the upbeat show to enrich you and grow your life in the direction you desire. Listen again and again and visit docwhite.org for more information and find out how Dr. Joanne can benefit you. Thank you for sharing your day with us, and stay tuned for more exciting guests and events to come.